morning. It is great to have you here with us, whether you're here on site or joining us online, you're so welcome. And I'm really excited to be starting this brand new series called Lost and Found. And I particularly love our stage design that we have today. It reminds me actually of one of my favourite childhood stories. It was written by an author called Michael Rosen. And I remember one of the stories he told was all about imagining that for every single person, they had their own lost and found room. And the story he used to tell in a really elaborate way about imagining finding your room and what thing, imagining what things would be in there. Maybe you can spend a few moments doing that. And the, I know that as a child, I loved to go in there and think that uh, that's where all the toys I'd lost or my parents' car keys or whatever it was would be found in there. And I wonder now, as I'm a bit older, what other things might be in my own lost and found room. Probably some items of significant value, sadly. So today I'm going to be kicking off this series. I'm going to look at a story, actually, that Jesus himself told all about something of great value that is lost. And whether you're watching or you're joining today as uh, somebody of faith, a Christian, or maybe you're exploring faith, or perhaps you're not even really sure what to make of it all and uh, what you really believe, well, I'm certain that today's topic has something for all of us, because it's going to get us thinking about faith and about God from a fresh perspective. And before I dive into that story today, I want to start with a question, a question that actually Chris has already sort of posed to us this morning. Have you ever lost something of value? Have you ever lost something that is important to you? Maybe right now something is coming to your mind. Maybe you can remember that experience. Maybe it's quite a painful and difficult experience. Can you remember what it felt like when you realized that something of value was missing? What did you do, I wonder, to try and find it again? People can go to extraordinary lengths, can't they, to find something that is lost. You know, I was thinking about this in the week and a story came to mind actually when a few years ago, a really good friend of mine, uh, her dog sadly ran away. Uh, the dog was out on a walk with her husband. Uh, and this was a lovely dog uh, who was a border collie called Steve. And we used to affectionately uh, always refer to him as Steve the dog. Uh, so on this one occasion, Steve the dog was out uh, with his owner, I think on a walk or a run. And some loud noises went off that scared Steve the dog. So unfortunately, he kind of bolted and ran off and he didn't return. And I remember speaking to my friend just after this happened and she was so distraught, as you could imagine. And her and her husband immediately set out trying to find their beloved dog. They went out searching the area. They traveled far and wide. They posted it all over social media and even rallied others to help in their cause to find their dog. And pretty soon, the search for Steve the dog went viral, actually, and I'm not exaggerating there. And amidst all of this, while the searching and everything was going on, what really impressed and amazed me was that my friend's husband actually went and camped out overnight in the place where he'd last seen uh, his dog, where his dog had run off, in the hope that he would return. Unfortunately, he didn't. Uh, but there is good news, because just some days later, actually, Steve the dog was spotted several miles, actually many miles away from where he was last seen by somebody who had seen all the posts on social media. So Steve the dog was found and brought back to his owners. And I remember really clearly that sheer relief and joy they had when their beloved dog was brought back to them. They didn't throw a party or anything, but I know that there was rejoicing in their home that day. 
and in their hearts too. And actually, I was thinking about this story. I think it captures and reflects so well, doesn't it? This idea of the lengths that we might go to when we lose something that's of value to us. And I think it also reminds us that actually when something of value is lost and then it's found, it can become so much more precious to us too. So the story that we're going to look at today, as I mentioned, a story that Jesus himself uh, told, it also captures this idea of losing of something of value in a really powerful and significant way. And actually, the story that Jesus uses would have been really culturally relevant for his time. It's a story he tells about a shepherd looking after a flock of sheep. Well, that's the implication anyway. And actually, this would have resonated with Jesus' audience at the time because Jesus himself, although he lived on earth about 2,000 years ago, he grew up in a sort of rural area in the Middle East. And as an adult, he traveled around sort of rural villages in a region called Galilee, which today would be northern Israel going into southern Lebanon. And it was these kinds of rural places, little villages, where Jesus liked to kind of um, teach people. He'd tell stories with hidden meanings and underlying messages known as parables. So what we're going to look at today is one of these parables. And on this occasion, uh, people have gathered to hear Jesus speak. He was known as sort of a teacher at the time. And there's a really mixed audience that have gathered on this one day, which is really significant. We're told that in this audience, there are specific groups of people who usually, who wouldn't usually be found mixing together in society. But it's this very unusual audience that actually makes the story so significant. And from Luke's account of this that we find in the New Testament part of the Bible, that's where we're going to be reading from today, uh, we read that there were two distinct groups of people who have gathered to hear Jesus speak. And actually, they're there for very different reasons. So first off, we're told there's a group of people referred to collectively, and sometimes this is the case in other accounts, as tax collectors and sinners. And I'll explain that a bit more in a moment. And then there's another group that are there and present that day, and they're called the Pharisees and teachers of the law. So this is basically referring to Jewish religious teachers of the time, because Jesus himself was a Jew and grew up in Jewish society. This was really a group of religious elite. They were well-educated religious people. And as you might imagine, these two distinct groups of people do not get on particularly well. And they normally wouldn't be found mixing together <clears throat> in society. And this is really because to that group of religious uh, people, to the religious leaders, they considered those who were the tax collectors and sinners to be outsiders. These were people not to be trusted and certainly not to be associated with. You know, in particular, you might, ima you could, might imagine why this was the case. The tax collectors, who were also Jewish, actually worked for the Romans, and the Romans had invaded and occupied their land at this time, so they weren't to be trusted. And then there's this group of people called sinners, collectively referred to. It's quite a broad, vague category, actually. We don't necessarily know exactly what it means, but within this context, it's quite likely that these were people who were outside of religious rules and they didn't keep to religious law, particularly the religious law of the Jewish faith at that time. Sort of rogue people, perhaps. So to the Pharisees and those religious teachers, those kinds of people would have actually been considered unclean, unholy people. These were the religious outcasts, and they looked down on them. And we know this is their view, I'm not just making it up, because actually in Luke's account that we're looking at today, he sets the scene really well, saying this. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's quite a short description there, isn't it? But right from the get-go, we painted this picture. There's that group there of the tax collectors, the sinners, the outcasts, and we know that they have gathered to hear Jesus. They're drawn to him. They want to hear what he has to say. But that other group that are there, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, doesn't seem like they're all that bothered about what Jesus has got to say. He's far more, they're far more concerned, aren't they, by the kind of people that are there, the people that Jesus is associating with. And they kind of, we get the idea that they're passing judgment, they're criticizing, aren't they? They don't uh, really approve, they're very shocked, even appalled perhaps, by the fact that Jesus not only associates with that other grouping of people, but we're told, aren't we, aren't we, that he spends time with them, he eats with them, which means he socializes with them, possibly even calls them his friends. And this would have been insulting to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, because as I mentioned, Jesus himself was considered by many to be a sort of religious teacher, a rabbi of sorts, and that was not how a rabbi should behave. So given that context, which is really important to understanding the story today, let's hear the story that Jesus chooses to tell this mixed audience of people. We read that Jesus addressed the crowd saying this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Now for us sitting here today, listening to this story, maybe it's not particularly shocking or striking uh, story. We may understand, mightn't we, how somebody looking after a flock of sheep like a shepherd is going to go off and try and find one that's got lost. But maybe we might think that if the shepherd doesn't find that one lost sheep, it's probably not the end of the world, is it? He's got the flock after all. And I, where I'm speaking as somebody not from a farming uh, background, I wouldn't have had understood the context quite as well as people in Jesus's time. But actually, that's not the point that Jesus is making, is he? He's saying that actually the one sheep that gets lost, that goes astray, is so important to the shepherd that the shepherd is willing to leave the flock, to leave the 99 other sheep and to go out and to search for the one that is lost. Now this might seem uh, like a risky strategy and I think it is a risky strategy. You know, we often assume uh, that that flock of sheep, the 99, you know, well, they're fine, aren't they? They're safe, but we're told they're left out in the open country. And actually, maybe it is the case that they are, they are particularly safe because in Jesus's time and in that cultural context, there were often communal flocks of sheep. You know, there were others who would help the shepherd but what's so sort of striking is that it's the shepherd, it's that leader of the flock who goes off to find the one. And actually the story isn't so concerned, is it, by the flock itself. It's really focused on that one sheep that is lost and is in danger. 
And although Jesus is telling a fictional story here, isn't he, about sheep, the meaning, I don't think, would have been lost on his audience. And in fact, he kind of explains it at the end. He spells it out for them, doesn't he? He tells his audience that the flock of sheep, the 99, well, these are called righteous people. These are people who are in a right relationship with God. And so I imagine that the religious group there, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, well, they're going to assume that's them, aren't they? That's their category. They're the flock of religious sheep huddled together and safe. And then Jesus goes on to explain that that one lost sheep represents a sinner, a person who has wandered off, who has gone astray, who's not in a relationship or in a right relationship with God even. And in doing this, Jesus is addressing cleverly, I think, both those groups of people who have gathered to hear him that day. You know, he's addressing, isn't he, the religious grouping through speaking about the flock. But then by mentioning that one lost sheep, he's speaking directly to those tax collectors, the sinners, the outcasts, the outsiders, those considered lost by others. And I think that both those groups of people, I think they probably would have understood what Jesus was saying. They would have understood their place in the story and probably been okay with it. Well, to begin with anyway. But I'm not so sure they would have been okay with how the story then plays out. And the part that would have been particularly shocking is the behavior of the shepherd. Because the shepherd in the story represents God. And the shepherd chooses, doesn't he? Chooses to go out after the one lost sheep. And we get this amazing picture, I think, in this story of of a God who pursues the sinner. A God who is caring and protective like the shepherd. And he doesn't want any single one of his sheep to be lost. You know, to the Pharisees and the religious leaders and from what we know about them, this was not their view of God. This did not align with how they saw and perceived the religious outcasts, the sinners, the tax collectors. In fact, from some of the research I've done uh, this week, there was thought to be this sort of cultural saying amongst uh, Jewish people at the time, particularly the religious, that there would be joy in heaven over one sinner that was obliterated, not joy in heaven over a sinner that was saved. So it's really interesting, isn't it? The words that Jesus uses at the end of this story, he kind of uses a play on words, actually, that I think directly challenges that common religious view of the time. A view that condemned those who were sinners. A view that judged those who were um, on the outside, who didn't keep to religious law. A view that wasn't particularly compassionate to those who were considered lost and on the fringes. And for people like the Pharisees and those teachers of the law that were there that day, those outside of sort of the re- of religious obedience, well, They had some significant work to do, actually. Their view was that they needed to earn their way back into God's sort of approval and love. They needed to earn their way back to the flock so they could be considered as righteous. And for them, actually, repentance was all about meeting religious standards of purity and law. And this required human effort. But... Jesus paints a different picture, doesn't he? To Jesus, repentance is about following him and his way. You know, that one lost sheep in the story doesn't have to earn God's love. He doesn't need to abide by a set of rules or regulations so it can find its way back to the flock. 
In fact, that one lost sheep is completely helpless, isn't it? The only way that it can be saved is by being found by the shepherd and being brought back to safety. And I think it's this idea that would have been really radical to both groups listening to Jesus at that time. And whilst I've mentioned it probably would have been shocking in a bad way to that group of uh, religious elite, so to speak, well, to the other group, to that group of outsiders, the tax collectors, the sinners, this would have been shockingly good news for them. Can you imagine? Because this is a story that provides hope for anyone who might feel outside of God's love or care. It's a story that provides hope for those who feel lost in life or those who feel like they just don't measure up to religious standards or standards of society. You know, and the bit I love, I think the irony of it all is that Jesus, the one telling them this story, well, he's the son of God. He's God himself in human form. God is there with his people telling them what God is like. And I'm not sure everyone there would have necessarily believed him. You know, the fact that Jesus was there, that he had come to earth, is evidence of this story's message. That Jesus, who is the son of God, he left the heavenly flock, so to speak, and he came to earth in search of the lost. You know, Jesus is the living proof that God cares so much for each and every individual person that he's willing to risk it all, that he's willing to even give his life to bring those who are lost back to him. And I think the boldest part of this story is that it's suggesting that this was not just part of Jesus's mission on earth to pursue the lost, but it was his mission. It was the reason he came to earth, that he risked it all. And I think it tells us that God prioritizes the lost. So where might we, like Jesus's audience, find ourselves in the story, I wonder? Well, I want to suggest that maybe there's a very simple truth here, that we simply identify with the sheep, don't we? I mean, that's the, the purpose of it after all. But by this, I mean that we all have the ability to wander off and get lost, but that we all have the opportunity to be brought back to the flock, to be pursued and to be found by the shepherd. And if we're wondering, perhaps, what does this really mean for our lives? Well, I wonder if we might learn two really important things. Perhaps we look at this story and we can identify either with the flock, maybe we identify more with that lost sheep, or maybe it's with both categories, actually. Firstly, I think the role of the flock in the story, well, we're not sure, we're not told explicitly, are we? But I think it's to rejoice with the shepherd when that one lost sheep is found, to share God's heart for those who are lost and in need. And secondly, we can learn from the role of that one sheep that is lost, that we may not think it has a role at all. It's pretty helpless, isn't it? But I think its role is to simply look out for the shepherd, to look out for that lifeline and to trust that a search is on, that there is a rescue plan for their life that's already underway. You know, there's a painting up on the screen, uh, you'll be seeing it online as well, that I think depicts this story 
so well. I love how it portrays that shepherd's sort of care and heart and love for that lost sheep. So I wonder, how does this painting, how does the story today speak to you? Where do you find yourself in it? For those of us here in the building, this painting is on display in the lobby, and I really recommend just spending time at the end, just going and reflecting on it. Let it speak to you. You know, and what I think is important is that whilst this is a figurative story, isn't it? The sheep are meant to represent us people. Well, there's one really huge and important difference when it comes to reality that's good news for us, because we aren't actually sheep, are we? We are human beings. And that means that we can partner with God. We can join in with the work of the shepherd in seeking and saving the lost. How amazing is that? You asked that question at the beginning, didn't I? Have you ever lost something of value to you? And I asked what lengths perhaps you would go to to find that thing that was lost. Well, what if the most valuable thing that God has ever lost is you. What lengths do you think God would go to to bring you back to him? I don't think we have to imagine this. We get to see it in the person of Jesus. But I also hope, and I'm sure there are many here today listening and watching, who know personally the lengths that God has gone to for them. You know, it's certainly uh, my experience that when I was at my most helpless and lost in life, that's when God's love pursued me even more fiercely. Even though I didn't see it then, and even though I didn't feel like I deserved it, I can see it now. And actually, it was that realization for me that Jesus was and is the living example of that God, of the Good Shepherd, who had come to earth in pursuit of those who were lost. That Jesus had been out searching for me, his one lost sheep. And actually it was that realization that completely changed my life. And it can change yours too. So if you're listening or you're watching today as somebody who perhaps you don't, you don't know what you think about faith, about God, you're not sure if you can believe in a God that might care for you that much, or the idea that he would pursue you, then I wonder if you might be willing to consider or even dare to believe today that you are of such infinite value and worth to God, that he was willing to risk it all to come to earth in the person of Jesus in order to find you and bring you home. And that in fact, he's been searching for you perhaps for a long, long time. Let's pray together. Loving God, we just thank you for that story today, Lord, however it's speaking to us. Let's just take a moment to, to maybe hear in our hearts what you want us to know. To reflect on where we might find ourselves in that story. Maybe we know what it's like to lose something of value. Maybe we know what it's like to feel lost. But God, we just pray that you would just speak to us today. 
Reveal yourself as that shepherd that cares, that loves so deeply that you pursue us. Maybe we just need to know that the search is on. That we are worth it to you. And if we know what it's like to have been lost and to be found, Lord, let us rejoice in our hearts when we know that you're out searching for others and that we can play a role in that too. Holy Spirit, we just pray you will speak to us and you will bless us and guide us now. Amen.